Hey, welcome back to the show. If you're a returning viewer or listener, and if you're new to the show, thank you for checking us out. Coming up, we have a great interview with Pete Evick from Brett Michaels Solo Band, and we discuss so much cool stuff in this interview. We talk about Brett Michaels and his Malibu and Arizona homes and his private plane. And also, Pete tells me a cool story about Brett turning down an offer to join one of the biggest rock bands of all time. Uh, plus, we're going to talk about Van Halen, Nuclear War, and of course, Pete's two new solo songs, uh, My Best Days and his cover of 99 Red Balloons. This is a great episode. We talk about a lot more, so don't go anywhere. This is a can't miss interview. Can we start with that? Like that was uh, that sounded interesting. What? Yeah. What did Stevie say? I think was that the thing when he? I think I read it. He said, "Nice guy." What did he? What did he call the title? It was something about um, nothing but a but a nice guy or something like right. that. Right. <laughs> he just sent back the his, nice his message back as a uh, the Armstrong and love and fire. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd sent him that. There's a handful of people in the industry that I I send. Uh, things before I send anybody. Um, my friendship with Stevie is that he's, um, he's so straight up honest about everything, you know, uh, even though the, even though the, uh, metal sludge site has, as a, uh, history of kind of slagging people and the jokes and the, and the, and the, uh, you know, the bashing and everything, uh, he did more to revive that genre than almost anybody just by creating that site, you know, mm -hmm. people were talking to me and, uh, but he's always honest, good or bad when you, when you get to meet him and know him as a person. And so uh, he's usually one of the first people I bounce an idea off of. I probably shouldn't be talking about that publicly or whatever. I don't know. But um, I, I sent him the song knowing that if it was terrible, he'd be the first to just tell me it was terrible, you know? And uh, he, he really took a liking to it and, uh, and, and said some nice things about it on his page. I was, I was grateful. It was awesome to see that. No, that's super cool. Yeah, because you have two new songs out. You have um, the cover of the 99 Left Balloons and then also an original that I didn't even hear of until today called My Best Days, which is a great song. Yeah. It came out two weeks ago, but it came out early. We were it was scheduled to come out last weekend. It came out the week before that, and it caught us all off guard. Uh, the label and the band and everybody, We for some reason, Apple pushed it through a week early. Huh. And, uh, so, so we had this whole marketing plan, and uh, it just it just fell through. <laughs> Interesting. What was the marketing plan? Just as far as announcing the release of the song and the press request and all this different stuff that was, you know, supposed to happen with the song. And, and then it was just out floating out there and we all kind of panicked to try to uh, raise awareness uh, like instantly. Yeah. Cause it's like one of those things where you want like all the publicity at the same time. So it's like this rush at this, right. Yeah, Is right. That? Okay. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, so that's the start of an interview completely different than it was probably going to go. No, that's uh, well, that's what I want to start with, uh, you know, the two new songs. So yeah, the, 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 my best days talk about what that was about. Cause it sounds interesting. It's written as an inspiration to those who feel they've already lived past their prime. That sounds yeah. like, uh, that sounds familiar to maybe me or a lot of people <laughs> I'm sure can relate. Well, you, you know, um, I, so I am a fan of, myself of there's an enormous amount of whether it's country music or rock music or anything there's a the, the lyrical concept of um talking about when you grew up it tons of songs about that and 
all those songs. I love nostalgia and I love thinking about back in the day and I love the reminiscing and all that, but there's a whole lot of, to the point where, and especially once COVID came, there's a whole lot of this kind of, uh, my best days have already happened. There's, there's like a doom and gloom attitude that came about. Uh, everyone wished it was 20 years ago or everyone wished this or everyone wished that. And, uh, I, I I just, you know, I just kept thinking to myself, does anyone think that maybe the future might be brighter than, than the past? <laughs> you know what I mean? Does anyone think that I, I, I started getting kind of like, man, I don't want to, if, if, if my best days were the eighties, 30 years ago, then what am I living for? And, you know, there's so many songs that just kind of, kind of go, Oh, I wish we were back together or I wish it was me and my buddies in the back in the day and all this stuff. And, and I just wanted to, and I've written those myself, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and I just wanted to write something that maybe was a little more uplifting, especially I wrote it during COVID when, and it was just kind of a call to, Hey, uh, make the best out of life. Tomorrow can be better than yesterday. And so the, my best days ain't behind me yet just kind of came out. Yeah. Well, and I think that one good thing about getting older is like, you have more wisdom and you, you sure. know more, you have more knowledge and things where, you know, it's like, what, what's the song? Like, I wish I knew now what I, what's I'm probably that's poison, something to believe in. He says that and something to believe in. Yeah. It's like, and that's in a bunch of songs too. Like where you, you, if you knew what you know now when you're younger, you could have taken advantage a lot better. But that's one thing about it, getting older is like the future is like you're going to learn more and have more wisdom and hopefully yeah. able to share that with other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so just, the, yeah, it's a physical thing that sucks about getting older. <laughs> sure. Sure. I was at the doctor this morning. I used to, I like probably 20 years went by that. I didn't even go to a doctor and now I get calls like it's time for you to come in again. I'm like, oh, what is going on? <laughs> well, yeah, you should go at least once a year just to have your annual checkup or whatever, get your blood work and all that crap. Yeah, no, not 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 when you're on the road and rock and roll. You just pretend you're going to live forever, and you go and you go and you go. <laughs> that's dangerous, though. We don't. We don't, I don't want that to. Ha- that's why I've seen too many of these rock stars die. I don't like that. I want people to take care of themselves. I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and so then your other song, the cover is. Uh, I didn't know it was about the Ukraine thing, and that's kind of what inspired that. Inspired. Well, yeah. So um, you know, in 1984 when that song 99 red balloons came out, I was in sixth grade and I was already um, consumed with hard rock. I was already consumed with kiss and Van Halen and twisted sister and quiet riot and Def Leppard. Um, And I was, you know, I, that's all I wanted to hear. I wasn't a pop guy. I wasn't at that point in my life. I wasn't listening to uh, Duran Duran records or, you you know, now I love them to be honest with you. Now I think Duran Duran's amazing, but uh, you know, and, but this song, um, let me, let me backtrack. Um, I was one of those people that, uh, were consumed and petrified by the fear of nuclear war in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, my parents, uh, I had great parents and, but they had no rules. I had no rules. I had no nothing. Um, they were great parents, but they didn't shelter me from anything. And because of that, uh, I would see movies or watch news that a lot of kids, other, other parents would keep them from. And uh, I developed this fear of, of nuclear war that was uh, crippling to me. Um, and that song was about, was an anti-protest song. And I remember hearing it and uh, thinking, wow, someone feels like I feel, 
like the words spoke to me and, and I took it personally. I thought that, uh, you know, it turns out that Nana didn't write it herself, I guess, but I, I thought she had written it and she had felt exactly how I felt and that I wasn't alone, <laughs> you know? So I carried that song with me for a lot of my life. And it was not to be completely honest with you is as crazy as it sounds. It wasn't until about, it wasn't until 2012 that uh, I was actually able to kind of shed my end of the world fear um, because, you know, I, th- it started with the threat of nuclear war when I was a kid, but then I, I was consumed by all the prophecies and all the different things that happened, all the books and all the writings. And, and so when 2012 came and the Mayan prophecy didn't come true and the end of the world didn't happen, like I was, a, I was lifted, you know, it was like, Oh, well, I can start living my life now without the sphere. So here it is 2012. And then, so I get, you know, now it's 2022. So I get like 10 solid years of my life of not feeling the sphere, <laughs> you know, did you, and, did you have it during the COVID? Cause that seemed like the end of the world for a lot of people. I, I, I wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't frightening to me. It was very apocalyptic. You know what I mean? But it was, it didn't feel like the, it, it wasn't like the bombs were dropping, okay. but, you know, uh, but so anyway, I've had 10 years of, of not feeling like the end of the world's coming in this apocalyptic disaster. And then I wake up and I go, uh, I scroll through all the news channels. I'm not one or the other. I go through everything and even the, even the international channels and everything. And I woke up one morning and the news crawls on all the channels were saying different things, but said nuclear and Russian nuclear threat, nuclear war, this, that. And we're using the terms, you know, you kept saying Russian because the, the war in the Ukraine had started. Right. And all that childhood fear came back. Like in an instant, I freaked out. I was uh, for the first two weeks of it. I was intolerable. Uh, no one could stand me. Uh, my business partner, Darren, I'd walk in and you could look, you could see there was, he was looking for reasons to leave the office himself. My girlfriend didn't want to talk to me. Brett wouldn't, he didn't want anything to do with me on the phone. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but Brett was sincere. Brett would, Brett actually called every member of our band and, uh, and our crew and actually told them all Pete's going through a really, 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 really rough time. Cause we were out doing shows during all this. It was, it was neat. He didn't laugh at me. He was like, he didn't agree with it. He thought I was crazy, but he, he told everyone Pete's going through a really strange, rough time. So be cool to him out there if he's acting funky. But, um, wow. uh, uh, but I was intolerable cause I was consumed like, like for instance, right up until if we had a show that day, I would literally be staring at the news crawls on my phone from behind my amplifier while the intro tape was rolling. And as soon as we were finishing encore, I came right back. And I, I was just consumed with the fact that in 2022, the news crawls were using the term nuclear as if it was a real possible threat. Again, I'd put it all behind me, you know, and and you know what? I look back now. Um, how how strangely selfish and um, self-consumed I was because those people over there are really dying and I'm over mm-hmm. here acting like this in the United States playing shows in front of sold out crowds of thousands, thousands of people and living my life. And I'm acting like something terrible has happened to me, but uh, what's going on over there is disastrous. You know what I mean? And uh, so I was able to subdue it a little bit actually till yesterday. Uh, 
Huh. And then yes, <laughs> and then I hadn't been watching the news or paying much attention to anything. And then yesterday I went home and uh I was doing a couple of interviews and I put the put the news on for just a second. And there it was again, the crawl was back to Putin making some kind of nuclear threat. And I, I was just like, oh man, I I uh so the point of that was uh no one could tolerate me uh for a while. So I retreated to my studio. And uh, at first, I just started playing the song as therapy, just like I used it in 1984. I was just playing the song as therapy. And then I thought about recording it, and I started recording it step by step. And then by the time it was done, it it sounded pretty cool. So I let a couple of people hear it, and uh, they thought it was worthy of release. So I took their word for it and went with it. Who played the saxophone? Was that the guy in the video playing that, or was yeah, that yeah. you? No, that's my buddy, Young Devereaux. His name is Young Devereaux. Okay. And I've known him for a long, long time. When we were kids, uh, we used to teach music at the same music store. Uh, I would teach piano, vocal, and guitar, and he would teach saxophone and I think some other brass. And uh, he's, I, I got to tell you, he's a tremendous musician. A lot of times, um, you know, I've done this acoustic gig called This, That, and the Other with uh, Eric Brittingham from Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And we, we will play... Um, basically a bunch of 80s rock covers but play them acoustically you know like round and round or we'll do the cinderella songs and and uh the poison songs and and we'll do quiet riot and and uh warrant we'll do all this stuff and uh but i'll invite young out when he's near us the saxophone player and he'll play all of those 80s solos on his saxophone oh that's awesome that sounds amazing it's awesome to see yeah it's cool (laughs) i would totally see that okay wait so back to the news thing though like so where are you now? Do you feel like it's going to be okay? Because I feel like a lot of those news things, they're just trying to get ratings and they want to scare you. They want to freak you out. So you keep watching and to see what the next thing is. Cause I mean, they've been saying that for how many weeks or months now, like nuclear threat and nothing's <laughs> right. happened. I mean, right. Well, I, I, first of all, I never really thought in my brain, I thought, there's no way he would do that because what Putin wants is the land. Right. So why would, he drops that bomb and the land's useless. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, part of me believed that he would fire a missile our direction, uh, knowing that we would shoot it down, knowing that it would never reach us, but that he would, um, that he would be able to say he did it mm. kind of be, huh. You know, he'd be able to say to China and and all of our uh, all the other people that don't really love, uh, you know, us, he would be able to say, I was the one that had the nerve to do that. <laughs> you know, it, it was in my head. Um, uh, I don't think at this point in my life, I think anything is possible, bad and good. Right. Um, I, my fear with him now is uh, he's uh, he's an egomaniac. Uh, and you know, and I say that I'm a Leo and I'm a rock and roll guitar player. So I'm an egomaniac too. Just me saying that and acting like I'm comparing myself to a world leader shows how big my ego is, but I'm not comparing myself to Putin. You understand that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is I, 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 well, you don't I, want to hurt people. I know that much. You know, I, that's, that I do not want to do, but I also don't know that he wants to hurt people. I think that, you know, I've always said this very unpopular opinion, and I don't know if I've ever said this publicly in a podcast, but, uh, you know, Hitler, and Saddam Hussein, they thought they were right. Yeah. And, and all the people that followed them. 
yeah, think that they're doing the, the, the people. I mean, to a lesser degree, you could say the people storming the Capitol in America, mm-hmm. they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were saving the country or whatever. Right. And so perspective is everything. So, uh, you know, what my knowing the battle of a fragile and large ego, my fear with Putin is that he um, he's embarrassed now that he couldn't crush this small country in 24 hours. Hmm. So, so I know what it's like when I feel like I'm being laughed at or what someone, or if someone thinks that I didn't achieve my goal, like, I know what that feels like just being a guitar player or being a, a world leader. That's supposed to be the, the, you know, second or third biggest, most powerful, big, bad country in the world. I, his fragile ego is going to be the worst thing that ever that could happen to any of us. I think. Well, and now I think he's getting surgery or something for, uh, was it cancer or some yeah, sort of, my business partner told me yesterday, I think that he signed over, uh, uh, second command is in charge right now or something. Yeah. And they say that guy's crazier than Putin. He's uh he's, he's more vicious or something is, Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) But ultimately, (laughs) now I I just scared you more. Great. No, but ultimately like, it's one of those things where there's literally nothing you can do. You have, we have zero control over that. Right. So like, I mean, that's where it's like, I think, like where Brett's saying he's going through a strange time. Cause it's probably Brett's like, well, there's nothing I can do about this. So that's right. where he probably doesn't worry about it. But well, for you know, the reason you're focused on this and like freaked out. It's funny you say that because Brett has a habit of at all costs trying to help anybody at any time. If he, if he's talking to somebody and they say, Oh, uh, I'm having trouble getting new tires on my car he'll just go give that money to whoever it is. And, and, or, hmm. or he, he, he's, he, he always, even if it's something he knows nothing about, he will try to offer some advice and some help. It's, it's, he likes to, right. So and, if, I, if for say there was like a struggling podcaster that wanted him to do my show, like I could just reach out and be like, Hey, you want to help me out and do my show? <laughs> If you can get directly to him, that's the problem. I know where he lives. He lives like a few, like a, like 10 miles, 20, 20, 30 miles from me. I'm in Arizona. I, I've been to his house. I mean, I've stalked him. I've driven by, I haven't, I don't go in a driveway or whatever. He's got a big gate, but yeah, I'm very aware of that gate. I've spent an enormous amount of my life behind it. <laughs> okay. You're on the good side. Yeah. yeah, yeah anyway, I, uh, sorry. Actually, but... actually he sold that house during COVID. Oh, did he? He's gone. Yeah. Which is terrifying to me because Scottsdale is my favorite place in the United States. Hey, and come crash with me. It's not as nice as Brett's ranch, but uh, got a nice warm couch or a blow up bed for you. The um, but back to my point. Yeah, uh, is that when this all first went down, I was talking to Brett, and he got real silent, and he goes, uh, "Well, I can't help you." And it was the first time in our twenty-year relationship that friendship that he'd said anything like that at all. He, I stumped him with with my fear of all this. He, he couldn't help me. It was it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. you know, Robert Mason lives out there too. That's right. Yeah, and Marcus Scott and from uh, Trickster and uh, Dave Elfson from formerly of Megadeth has been out there a long, long time, man. Yeah, and uh, Lita Ford's in Arizona now too. Is she? Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. I've been trying. I would love to get her on the show. That'd be amazing. She's over on the Apache Junction side, but I don't think she's in Apache Junction. But she's over there somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a beautiful uh, Lost Dutchman. Uh, this mountains. I don't know if you know that. Like the legend yeah, yeah. of that. There's a cool ghost town. Like a really cool mountain. It's amazing. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. So, 
Yeah, I mean, the only thing you could do is like, I guess you could buy a bomb shelter. Is it? Oh, I've thought about that a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Because that was a big thing in the '60s and stuff when there was like threats of. Uh... It's big now, have you done the research? It's huge now. Well, yeah. But well, it's... they have all those TV shows like uh, what are they called? Like disaster planning or whatever. Preppers, the prepper people. Preppers, they, yeah. The, the doomsday preppers. But if you do some research, there's millionaires and billionaires that have bomb shelters now. That yeah, why wouldn't you? But they're like mansions underground it's you, you can type it in research it's unbelievable oh i'm yeah. sure oh yeah. it'd be so cool yeah so brett doesn't have one of those that he could let you come crash at nah <laughs> damn it see that's what he needs to do i mean he's got the private jet he needs the bomb shelter Does, he, well, he would be more he would be more to get in the plane and just fly around the earth until it all settled down instead of going underground. He's, he's a, he's claustrophobic. He likes it. He likes his space and his outdoorness. It, putting him underground would kill him faster than the bomb itself. <laughs> oh, interesting. God, that would be, that'd be not a bad way to spend the time either though. Just flying around. So yeah, you've yeah, been, yeah. see, cause I'm not really that, I mean, I guess it's cool to see like fancy resorts and fancy homes and fancy cars, but to me, I tell people, I'm like, ah, eh, that stuff doesn't really motivate me. Now, I hate flying commercial, though. So you've flown in his private jet. What is that like? That's got to be, that's got to ruin you for commercial flying. It does not. I actually make a joke all the time. Uh, it's like pulling teeth to get me on that thing. Really? Yeah. I always tell his pilot, every time I get up in that plane, I say, don't make me famous today. Because that's where guitar players die are on those planes. <laughs> oh, shit. God. That was yeah, dark. Randy, Randy Rhodes, Steve Ray Vaughan. Yeah. What was it? What was it Buddy Holly or not Buddy Holly, but um, the big yeah. bopper? Yeah, yeah, no. I, Buddy Holly, I, Richie Valens, and the big bopper. Yeah, yeah. So you know, guitar players die in those things. <laughs> well, yeah, not not as recently though. It's I think they've gotten better. At, I hope. Sure. sure. Uh, all jokes aside, uh, the plane's cool. Yeah. It, it, it's um. The idea of driving your car right up to the plane, not going through security and just walking up to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, you know, there's all the luxury of, you know, getting up there and whatever food you want is up there. And there's just two people on this plane. All that stuff is just rich people stuff. That doesn't matter at all to me, but I hate airports and I hate. Me that. too. So, so the idea of just driving up, and and step it on your plane while someone else parks your car. That's oh, that's so, <laughs> so amazing! I'm so jealous of that. That is like, I mean, I'm jealous of a lot of stuff. You get to play with Brett and hang out, but that is one of the coolest. The private jet thing would be such a great perk. Yeah, it, and, and it, that jet actually helps our our band because we can get places that some we can do a gig in one place and another gig. Uh, completely somewhere else that sometimes we can't do if we had to fly commercially just because of layovers and different things like that. You know, we did this, we, there was one point where we went um, from Canada to Mexico, back to Canada. Hmm. And the, it would not have been able to happen without that plane. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. It's super cool without a doubt. Yeah. No, I always feel like, cause I always get stuck to like either a screaming baby or like someone that's like really large and like taking up two seats or, yeah, yeah. you know, somebody like who smells bad. Like I always get stuck next to these like crazy people and then just going through security at the, Oh, it's so annoying. Security stuff. I, it's, I have gotten to the point where if a show is 
eight hours or less from me, I'll just drive it. I love driving. I love yeah, road yeah. trips. It's yeah. so fun. It's so relaxed. I turn on my own music. I yeah, got I, I can have, space out. I have one of those uh, brand new 2021 uh, Ford Broncos. Oh, and, you got one of those? Wow. Yeah. And I got it uh, in July. And I just yesterday put for it, it's I've already got 40,000 miles. So like, <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, I drive it everywhere. Yeah, see, I'm not much of a Ford guy, but those things look really cool. I got to say, like, those, like, that was like when the Mustangs, when they brought the Mustangs back, and I was like, I'm not a Ford guy, but those Mustangs are badass. So, interestingly enough, uh, I got one of those Mustangs when they first came out, too, for that exact reason. My father worked for Ford his whole life, and he he was an auto mechanic, and he brought me home a 67 Mustang on my 16th birthday. Damn. And, Damn. And but I didn't want it back then. To me, <laughs> to me it was it was an old old car. And to him it was a project that me and him were going to do together. And that was, you know, in 1986 or 87. Uh and uh, I just wanted a car that I didn't want a project. I wanted you, you know what I mean? Right. All my friends, all my friends at that day and age, things were different. The world wasn't rich and people weren't getting super nice cars, but everybody got a Toyota Corolla or a Honda Civic, or that's, that's what you got in my world when you're 16. And I wanted something similar to what my friends were getting. Uh, mm-hmm. So then I, I had that car for about uh, three months and I finally explained it to him. And then I was able to get a Mustang of that, a current Mustang. <laughs> of mm. that era, you know what I mean? Cause those eighties uh, Mustangs were terrible. That was the worst <laughs> era. It was terrible, but, uh, but should have so got a Camaro or something. That would have been cool. <laughs> and I rock. So, yeah. Right. 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 So, so anyway, uh, when the, uh, I had just joined Brett's band for the first year when that, when that Mustang came out and, uh, we were, we were driving around we were riding in the bus all the time. And, uh, I kept seeing him on the roads and I kept staring at him, staring at him, staring at him. And I just loved it. And I would, I told Brett the story about, uh, you know, my, my childhood and, and my dad and the Mustang and all this stuff. And so when that tour ended, uh, he gave me a check and, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't for the full amount, but it was, he said to me, uh, next time I see you, I want you to have one of those Mustangs. If you don't, I want this check back. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So just so like I, a bonus check or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> So that so I went and got one. So yeah, I'm a Ford guy, and and then the same nostalgia came back to me when the Broncos came out, and uh, I fought it for a while. You could you could ask my my girlfriend or my son or Darren, my business partner, or even Brett. I was silent about it and 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 quiet and didn't think much about it, uh, putting it behind me because I really wasn't in a position to to it, I didn't need to or, or ready to buy a new vehicle. And then something happened, and I drove by the dealership that my father used to work at. And they had one sitting there and, uh, and then I just went nuts. And all of a sudden I, I, that day I had to have it. And so I went and talked to the dealership and at this time I didn't realize how hard they were to get. I didn't understand the demand for the thing. So I didn't want the one they had on the lot. Hmm. I wanted, I wanted a very specific one. Uh, it was called area 51 blue is the color they, that it is. And it was the outer banks package. There's all these. So uh, I happen to know someone really high up in the Ford organization because 
Brett, uh, one of Brett's songs that I had produced and co-written called Driven was used in a Ford commercial um, a couple of years ago. And so we got to know all the people real tight. We've played private parties for the Ford organization and everything. And uh, so I called my friend that is basically uh, second seat to Bill Ford and the company. And uh, I said, I, I, I need this car today. I have to have this one. And they helped me look all over the country. And there wasn't, there wasn't any available in the whole country right then. But it turned out that that exact model was on order to be sent to the Ford dealership that my dad had worked at that I was at. So, uh, wow. Synchronicity. They call that. It was weird. So they sped up the delivery to it and got it there. And I picked it up a couple of days later. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So you so, like it? I my favorite car I've ever owned. It's cool. It's without that cool. Yeah. That's really neat. So when you, um, it's interesting. Like I was going through your, your history. Like I know you've been in Brett's band for what? 17 years. 19. 19. Okay. But, Actually, it might be 19 today or 19 tomorrow, I think is my, yeah, some, 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 the first week of May is 19 years. But I didn't know you actually, too, you also tried to audition when CeCe left in 91, 92, and you, you sent the band a tape and they respond. Or I don't know if the band, but the management or somebody responded to you, right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I was, I was much younger, but I was an enormous Poison fan. Me and, um, me and my drummer, Chuck, we, I have videos of us playing cry tough and unskinny bop and nothing but a good team in high school talent shows. Uh, and, um, so, uh, I, a friend of mine, a local musician, his name was Michael Fath, who was one of those guitar hero guys. He'd gotten a lot of attention. He'd been on the cover of guitar world magazine. Um, he had a few records out, but he was an instrumental guitar player, just like, uh, Vi or Satch, any of those guys, he was in that world, but he mm. lived here in Virginia. Hmm. He, he had done the audition and they had told him no. Hmm. And he gave me all the information. He goes, I know you love this band. Give it a shot yourself. And, uh, so I did. And, uh, it was just, um, I thought I had a shoe in because I was from the mid Atlantic where they were from, you know, and, uh, they, uh, their label and, and, you know, whether they were truly looking for it or not in that era in time, it was crucial for them to get a guitar hero. Right. They had to have a guy with a name that with recognition at yeah. that point. Right. Especially because the nineties was happening. It was like, they, you know, they really needed to like get the biggest name that they could. They, I think they, cause they really narrowed it down to Richie Kotzen and blues. So yeah, well, they had both of them eventually. Yeah. Richie right. Record yeah. And then blues did the next record. Yeah. yeah. And but they, Richie is such an uh, amazing player, and that record is still uh, amazing. I know it doesn't sound like a Poison record to a lot of people, but what amazing songs they are! Yeah, that that was when I was first starting to get into music, and uh, I loved the um, that re that whole record. Like every song on the record, to me, it was like I would listen to that in high school, just like on repeat, just over and over and over. I was yeah. like, oh, this is so this is such a cool rec record. I, I like. It was actually probably my favorite Poison record at, at the time. Sure. Sure. I, I, I went back and forth. Some of that is my favorite music of all time. Um, I, I hold Cat Dragged In heart, uh, close to my heart because Cry Tough is is still one of my favorite songs. Um, but I, I would I would say my favorite records open up and say, ah, uh, with Back to the Rock and Horse and uh, Nothing But a Good Time. I, I like that. And I like the sound of that record. It was I loved it. 
Yeah. No, especially, yeah, those first two are, well, the first three are so, they're huge albums, but I go back now, I think, I think now we, we just did a, another podcast and I, we, we did a ranking of Poison albums and I think, I can't remember what I said now, but I think I said the first one might be my favorite because I go back and I go, I just, the energy on that is just so raw and just like, right. kind of like the first Motley Crue record, Too Fast for it, Love, it, where it's just. It, it, same story. The same yeah. That no one really was interested enough, so they right. did it themselves, you know? Yeah, and it just sounds like, but you feel that they're just like, we're going to take on the fucking world, and like they just come in, balls out, and just play, and it's like, oh, okay. And then obviously the musician and the production gets better over the years, but there's something special about those first albums that were, where you're just like, they've been saving it up. I say that all the time when I talk to people. Uh, what you just said is exactly right. The, the biggest example in music history to me of, of, that first album is the Hootie and the Blowfish record, right? Oh, that's not what I was expecting you to say. I thought you were going to say Appetite for Destruction or something. Well, no, but let, let me let me tell you why. Is take yourself out of being a rocker and just talk about the music business. Uh, the Hootie and Blowfish record blew up. I mean, if you, if you remember, it was yeah. unstoppable. It, I think it was the first record to break all of Def Leppard's numbers as far as album sales and single amount of singles off of one record and all that kind of stuff. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an, it was an unstoppable force. You could not go anywhere without being faced with hearing Hootie and the Blowfish at that time. Right. And that second record, I bet you don't even know there was a second record. Was it that bad? It was terrible. It was terrible. And I credit that to what you just said you have your entire life to write your first record. And then all of a sudden you have a bunch of money and a bunch of people breathing down your throat, trying to tell you to write that second record in under a year. That's hard, man. You know? So anyone that has a second record, that's any good poison, Motley Crue, you know, Bon Jovi, uh, anyone that gets to that second record and it's better than the first. That's, that's un, uh, undeniably amazing thing to happen. No, it is. And uh, yeah, I think it's the hunger. And, and uh, I mean, there could be so many factors too, but I don't know if you're a Joe Rogan fan, but I was listening to this interview the other day. He was talking and he was telling the story about like Stephen King and how he wrote like the first few books that he wrote, he was like coked out and like just on all these drugs and shit. And he was writing like the shining and Carrie and Kuju, like all these like really dark stuff. But then when he got cleaned up, like he was still a good writer, but it just didn't have that like crazy viciousness of those first books that he because he was all fucking nuts yeah right i you know it's funny i am a joe rogan fan and and uh for during covid he got me and my girlfriend through it i think i think we spent most of covid just binging joe rogan stuff all the time uh he's fascinating i i i was always a fan of him even from fear factor i thought he was a cool guy and i, I all the different things he's done but uh i to be honest with you it, it i i i found the show because of David Lee Roth being on it. Oh, really? The the most recent time he was on it? No, the first time. Oh, okay. Yeah, because the I, most recent time he was on it, I couldn't get through that episode. I think I halfway through, I was like, I this is weird. I I got a bail. Well, did you did you see where uh, at some point in the second episode, Dave gets up and goes to the bathroom, and the cameras are all on, and Joe goes, "That dude's out there." <laughs> but it, it, <laughs> It, it was it was funny to me. I don't, you know, I live and die for Van Halen. They are the, oh yeah, the, they they are the and I'm a Hagar fan from the beginning. Oh well, yeah, now. no, you have some cool stories about him, and he's giving you props, and that's awesome. 
Yeah, it's funny that you know you know that stuff, but uh, um, but watching those Roth interviews is just amazing, man. It's 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 um, you know, part of me thinks he's the biggest clown in the music industry, and part of me knows that he actually knows stuff we just don't know. He's on a different plane and having a hard time to communicate it to the rest of us. You know, I go back and forth with what do I really think about him? You know, did you ever see that video of him? And I think it's in Vegas hotel. And uh, he hears like the early Van Halen record playing and then they go and knock on the door and the guys have no idea who he is. It's the most awkward thing, but funny at the same time. Yeah. No, but have you seen uh, somebody did a mashup? They take Joe Rogan out of it and they put Dave Lee Roth and Steven Tyler's interviews with Joe Rogan (laughs) together. (laughs) It makes it look like they're talking to each other. Have you not seen that? No, but that sounds hilarious. Dude, as soon as this is over, you have to look that up. Okay, it I will is, definitely it, do that. Yeah, because I, I don't even think I saw Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler was on Rogan? Years ago. Okay. It was a while ago. Yeah. But it's the most amazing thing because Tyler, much like Roth, doesn't make a lot of sense except for in his own head when he's talking. And they just go back and forth. You just, I can't explain it yet to watch it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, they're both, both of those guys are such legends. I mean, they could do whatever the hell they want and yeah. Hey, I'm fine with it. Cause you freaking made some of the best music of all time. Yeah. yeah it's funny. Uh, me and Brett went to see uh, Aerosmith one night and that's one of Brett's favorite bands. And, sure. uh, and you know, I I've been fortunate enough to know that I know a lot of people I've gotten to do a lot of things and, and live out super dreams with, with, uh, but the Aerosmith guys are somewhat uh, untouchable. You don't, you don't hear about guys hanging out with those guys a lot. You know what I mean? And uh, so we, we, we show up, we have a night off and we take Brett's plane to somewhere in Michigan and we go and uh, we're coming the back door and we're walking down and uh, Steven walks by and uh, Hey Brett, how you doing? And it was, it was just neat to see, uh, you know, I see, people excited to see Brett as a fan, but knowing that Brett loves Aerosmith so much, seeing someone that was an idol to him embraced that he was there. It was neat to see it from that perspective that, that, and then we saw Joe later and Joe was very excited to, and Joe played on one of me and Brett's records, actually the jam with friends record. Um, But, uh, but Steven, um, what a legend, what a legend. He, he's kept it together where a lot of people haven't. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I haven't seen them. I've never actually seen them live, but I've heard that they still sound great. Like Steven's voice is still, he can still do the screams and stuff. I remember a couple years ago, uh, maybe it's 10 years now. What there was a, there was talk that they were going to, that Steve, Steven was going to leave Aerosmith or something was, he was going to leave, but it was temporary. There was something similar hmm. to the Guns N' Roses situation. It, uh, maybe it was because he was going to do that solo record and the band wanted to still tour or whatever. Anyway, uh, they're managed by the same company as Brett, HK Management at the time. And uh, HK Management had approached both Brett and Sam Hagar and God knows who else about filling in, right? And I, w- I was privy to both of uh, Sammy's response and Brett's response. And both were, you know, Brett was just simply, I can't do that. There's, I, I, the idea of trying to fill Stephen's shoes is, is the fact that you made this call is amazing, but you're ridiculous. Let's end this conversation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, he and, and he's such a different style of singer. He can't scream high like that. 
he can do it. Can he? Oh yeah, yeah. When when you when you get Brett in the right mood, he'll give you his Steven Tyler impersonation, and it's he's influenced by him a lot. Let's just say that he can do it. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, Hagar's response was, uh, "I'm just the same thing. I'm such. I'm honored that someone would ask me that. But if I did that, I would suddenly just be the guy that replaces other legends." Yeah, I didn't know that. Is it so that they were officially offered, or they were just offered like an audition or something? Or what? Auditions? It was. Hey, Steven's going to take a break from the band, and we need to. We we want to keep the band on the road. Do you want to do this? <laughs> so yeah. just fill in temporarily. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And they yeah. and they both said no. So then were those the only two choices? Because that never happened. I, I, like I said, I, it's only because I know those situations. I don't know who else they called or what happened. I don't. I don't. Okay. Know. Well, I hope I didn't get you in trouble by talking about it. <laughs> I, I think I brought it up. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know, I, know that there, there's, I know that there's webcast somewhere where Sammy's talking about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. What other dirt do you have? I, <laughs> I like this stuff. <laughs> Inside information. Really, I don't know if that's really dirt or not, but tell me, tell me about that autograph warrant poster you have back there. Oh, no. Yeah, I just... I bought that as at a show. I don't, <laughs> I don't really have a, uh, they were just here in Arizona. It was like warrant skid row and winger. And I had never seen winger and winger was like, they, they opened the show, but they were really good. And, uh, Reb yeah. beach. Reb has played with me and Eric and our acoustic band a couple of times. And, uh, it's hard to sit by that guy and think of yourself as a good guitar player. Cause he's a lot better. <laughs> oh, he's insane. Yeah. I've been trying to get him on the show for years. I finally just had Paul Taylor, their uh, keyboard player, and he's, he's he's awesome too. What a calm and cool guy! Paul's super super cool. Yeah, yeah. and he like he co-wrote the. Have you heard the new Skid Row song? The gang's all here. Yeah, yeah. He co-wrote that, and I was like, I love that. That's one of the best songs I've heard of any band in the last like twenty years, in my opinion. Like it's so good. It certainly sounds. So I was not an enormous fan of Slave to the Grind but I was an enormous fan of the first Skid Row record. And so hearing that song, I was really happy to hear that song because that sounds like this, what I wanted the next Skid Row record to sound like when I was a kid. Yeah. It sounds like right after the first album. It sounds like where it should have gone. Yeah, it sounds like it's made. it was in 1990. Like they wrote it right after the first record and that was like in between because it's a yeah. little heavier than the first record, but not to the point of Slave to the Grind. Yeah, there was a, when we when we were doing that the acoustic gig and uh, we it's kind of just a free for all jam session, not really rehearsed it. And I would you know I'd be playing and singing a song and I'd look over to Reb and I'd be like, "All right, do the solo." And he'd be like, "No, you do the solo." I'm like, "What do you mean, me do the solo? You like why I'm not playing nothing? I'll play chords in front of you, but the year that you you know I'm not playing solos in front of Reb Beach. But he every time he's like, "No, you go ahead and do it." I'm like, "No, nah, it's all you." Well, you must be, I mean, you, you play CC solos. Those got to be hard to replicate. I would think. Uh, but you know, I was a huge CC DeVille fan. I was very influenced by CC. So, uh, but his very unique style and not everybody can, can fill the shoes to, to anyone can play the stuff, but to do it justice and make the fans feel like, you know, I, I try every night to, over over 20 years and 19 years now uh i've evolved the solos into a lot of my own personal feel but i still remain really true to uh you know like every night when we do every rose when it's over he, brett goes peter like note for note um you know 
see, see, you know, I, I say this a lot when, when we were all growing up on that music, CC and McMars weren't rated as guitar heroes, right? They, they weren't, they weren't Malmsteen and they weren't Steve Vai and they weren't Edward Van Halen, but here we are all these years later. And those are the two guys that are still here. Those are two guys that are still relevant. And people are coming to see them play in arenas, you know, docking opens up for poison. Now, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, and, and, uh, and, and so, and I credit that to the fact that, that, um, you can hum every note to the fallen angel solo, like it's a vocal melody and you can hung hum every note to every rose has its thorn. Uh, I can't hum you an Ingve Malmsteen song saved my life. Well, no. And that's interesting that you, I heard you say that when you were learning guitar, you learned the solos, but you paid more attention to the song structure than the solos. That was more where you listened to, which I was like, Oh, that's actually really smart as a guitar player. Cause like you said, anyone could play the solos. No, not anyone, but a lot of guitar players, but writing a good song is like way more. And that's probably why people are going to see Poison and Motley Crue is because of the songs. They're not going to, you know, I mean, they maybe they're not as technically crazy as Malmsteen and stuff, but not as many people want to see that. Right. No, it's, it's true. It's very important. I, it, at 25 years old, I became a singer uh, instead of a guitar player uh, and a guitar player. Uh, and once you become a singer and start focusing on that part, you realize what the real important role of a guitar is in a rock song. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, a good solo is a good solo and anyone wants to see talent. I mean, look at the Van Halen stuff, but songwriting is the solo is just uh, the, the hood ornament on a nice car. Right. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. Van Halen, I think had both. And that's yeah. what people tell me when I talk about, ask guitar players about, it. they're like, well, it was the songs more right. so than the solos, the solos too. Yes. But like you said, it's like the hood ornament. I was I was having discussion with my son uh, just last week. Uh, the the Van Halen thing was a perfect storm. I mean, I understand I'm an enormous fan. I'm an enormous fan, but it's there. It's never in history is there that moment where there's pop sensibility and lightning like energy and good songs with with incredible talent. Because you know, let's. I, Eddie's great, but so was Alex. Alex was every single bit a unique and 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 strange drummer as as uh, Neil Peart. They're they're on par with each other with that talent, you know. Alex did some incredibly strange things and different things at different time signatures, and even that beginning to Panama that everyone hums and 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 plays, and every cover band in the world plays it. If you really listen, to what's happening? And that second the second turnaround comes in on on the and or the E of the and right before that note. It's it's um, that the music the musical talent that was in Van Halen. You don't see that in pop success. You don't. You right. Know? You know what I mean? It was yeah. a perfect, it was a perfect storm. And, it, and, uh, you know, you can credit that to David Lee Ralph's good looks. You can, you know, there's no guitar hero that isn't famous because their singer. Yeah. Every, every truly famous guitar hero has a charismatic singer that got him there. I hate to say it. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I love, you know, what's cool about Van Halen is like, there's, it's such a variety. Like, the song, I think one of my favorite songs, if not the number one favorite Van Halen song for me, was Hot for Teacher. And I just love the intro. It starts off with the drums, and it's just total drums. There's nothing else. And then it kicks into the guitars. And I'm like, that's just a, like a badass way to begin that song. 
Yeah, and you know those guys, if you know enough about their history, they probably just walked in the studio and one of them started playing and the other started playing and it was probably never even meant to be anything but a warm-up and then it becomes a song, you know. It's yeah, just, that was sort of an eruption. He was just warming yeah, up yeah. and uh, yeah. Templeton's like, hey, let's turn that on. Let's make that a song. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was very fortunate to see Van Halen uh, rehearse the night before in Charlotte, North Carolina, the night before their debut show with the Roth is the comeback. The, sh- the tour kicked off in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was invited down to the day before to watch the rehearsals and Dave didn't show up. And right. Is I, this one Wolfie saying or something? Yeah. Yeah. I've told this story a lot of times. Uh, yeah. But Wolfie was singing. That's why I got real defensive when the tour started and everyone started talking about the tracks they were playing to. And I, I wanted to be a one man army to say, man, I fucking saw it with my own eyes. I watched this kid sing the lead vocals and I watched him. They, they took a break and came back and did a couple of the Sammy riffs and songs for a couple of minutes. And he was singing it. And uh, but my point was, I watched for three hours the three Van Halen's play. And, and Michael's a friend of mine and Michael's a tremendous bass player. Uh, but I watched the three of them play. And the best thing I could describe, it was like, we're always told a hive is like a bee company or an ant company. It was, they were, it wasn't like unison. Like we think of unison as, as music. They were working like a hive. They, those three guys playing together, it is embedded in my skull. I will never forget seeing it without Dave and just watching them play music together for three hours. And they were breathing together in time. They were blinking their eyes together in time. It was, it was just the most insane, magical thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, that must've been amazing. And too, like you're getting like a private show basically. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was in that entire empty arena, other than Van Halen and the crew, it was Valerie Bertinelli and, uh, his, her new husband at the time and uh, me and my ex-wife. There was only four people in the whole place. It was unbelievable. <laughs> oh, that's insane. Wow. Yeah. You have a lot of stories yeah. like that where you're seeing these like uh, private kind of rehearsals and things. And uh, Well, my perspective is different. You know, um, I, I'm a little bit younger than most of the guys that do what I do. Um, and so, you know, for instance, I'll give you an example. Uh, Eric Brittingham, Cinderella bass, uh, uh, bass player Cinderella, who was in our band for quite a few years. Um, you know, he's, he's 61 or 62 years old now. Right. So when, and I think you're a good bit younger than me. How old are you? 44. So you're 44. I'm 49. We're about the same age. Um, oftentimes you and me maybe think that, um, and maybe I'm wrong, but we, we think, you know, uh, all the members in Motley Crue must love Rat, and all the members of Rat must love Poison, and all the members of Poison must love Motley Crue and Rat because they were all growing up playing that music together. But the truth of the matter is, they were influenced by the '70s music. Brett, mm-hmm. I'm not saying Brett doesn't love that music, but by the time you are a successful musician, your influences are something of the past. Brett's influences were Van Halen, Kiss, Aerosmith, and Leonard Skinner. You don't, you know, you know what I'm saying? Eric's influences were the 70s rock stuff. So sometimes it's hard when I'm talking to these guys that are my friends and peers now. And I'm like, man, I love this band. And I love that band. And sometimes they don't even know that band. Not in a mean <laughs> way. Or to, this, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Because, and I can relate that to them. I got my first record deal in the middle of that 90, well, in the late 90s and 98. And my record, my first record had a very 90s sound. We had a, very like Bush meets Matchbox 20. There was pop sensibility with, with the sound of the grunge era. 
It, was that the I mean? some odd reason? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah some odd reason. And uh, but we would be out there, and I'd be doing interviews and stuff, and people would say, uh, "What do you think of this band?" It would be another current band, and I didn't know who they were because my influences were the '80s stuff. It, it, you know what I'm saying? So my point to that is. Uh, all of these, all these guys that are now, you know, the guys in Firehouse are some some of my best buddies. The guys in Warrant are like brothers to me, but I still have to fight the fanboy in me. So I get real excited to go up and watch them sound check. Still, you know, I'm 20 years veteran into this with Brett. Most people don't last that long in, the, in this kind of situation. You know, like Blando been in Vince's band uh, for I guess that long too, but. Um, you know, most people get a couple of years in and something goes wrong or they get out. And uh, so I'm jaded and I'm bitter and all those things that come with being in the rock and roll business your whole life. But I still get, you know, real excited to see some of my heroes bands at these soundtracks. And I, I enjoy the stories I get to tell and the, and the things that I've gotten to see that a lot of people get to see. But the perspective through my eyes being a, you know, professional, but still being a fan. Mm-hmm. It, is is a it's an interesting perspective I've I've gotten to to have without a doubt. No, absolutely. So why do you think that is that you've been able to last so long in a solo gig? Because you're right, a lot of the the solo musicians they just go through band members for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe they just get sick of you or bored, or they just want to mix it up. But you've been able to uh, stick with Brett so long. Well, me and Brett hit it off right off the bat. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, and there's a lot of there's a brotherhood between me and him that. Uh, is important uh, because I was the singer and songwriter of my own band for many years. I'm able to understand and respect the wants and needs of a singer. A lot of times a hired gun guitar player never really understands the perspective of being a singer. So, uh, so I think that that's part of the relationship. Uh, we shared a lot of same business views uh, a lot of a lot of same things, um, but also Brett's not a hired gun guy. He didn't go out to LA and pick any of the normal guys. He he's a homegrown guy and was happy to have uh, he was happy to have someone that wasn't on the scene looking for his next gig. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, hired guys get a gig and then. They first thing they do as soon as they get that gig is start wondering what their next gig is a lot of times, which is fine. That's the way it goes. That's, that's, that's how that business works. Uh, I wasn't looking for that. I'd had several opportunities to do different things in my life and said no to all of them. Um, a couple that could have been game changers for my financial situation uh, and my profile in rock and roll. Um, but I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be uh, jump from band to band, hired gun guy. And uh, Brett recognized that in me, and we created a bond that's kept me there for, you know, 19 years. What were the things that you were offered that you turned down? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I had a chance one time to join the, um, to be the music director to one of those uh, Cirque du Delay things. Um, you, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the Vegas shows. Yeah. Yeah. But it was one of the traveling ones that was going around the world. Okay. Uh, and the money was enormous. Um, uh, and the profile would have been cool to, to, to get to do that on that level. That is worldwide. Um, yeah. those shows, um, uh, there was an opportunity early, early on before Buck Cherry was, was signed to get into that camp. Wow. That would have been cool. Yeah. Uh, it, it's was that before a, Brett Michaels. 
way before, way before. Okay. So wait, why did you turn that one down then? So <laughs> that that's an that's an interesting story. It was the resurgence of 80s rock had not come yet. Yeah. And I was out on the road with my band Some Odd Reason. And that band was breaking up. And I knew it was breaking up. And I was having a conversation with my lawyer. And my lawyer happened to know of a new band that was in development at the time, I think with Geffen Records. I think it was Geffen. I, I can't remember the whole story. Uh, but there's a lot of details that that aren't my story to tell, to be honest with you. But the um, there were some imaging things going on and some different things that provided an opportunity for they needed another guitar player. And um, so the conversation I had with somebody uh, was, <laughs> this is, this is tricky because I don't want to sound negative. I'm just telling you the story is how it sounded. Mm -hmm. The conversation I had was a description of our band kind of has that late LA sound like LA guns. Hmm. The term I'll never forget. I was told LA guns. And I remember being upset with my lawyer for leading me down that path at all, because again, the eighties resurgence hadn't happened yet. And so, um, I thought to myself, why would I want to join as much as I love the music and that sounded cool. It sounded like a cool idea personally to me. How was that going to move my career forward being in a band that is part of the past that no one wants to listen to right now? Right. Right. So it's more of a, you're making a business decision rather than making a decision with your heart, which is like your heart might be like, Oh, that sounds amazing, but okay. you're trying to make a career out of it. So maybe a year and a half later, I'm out on the road with my band and my singer at the time knew this story, knew the story. And all of a sudden we hear this song. We can't fucking believe it. This song called all lit up. You remember, right? Oh yeah. I know the song. And it sounds just like shock me from kiss. It's an identical riff, right? It is, it is the coolest thing I'd heard in 10 years. And that DJ goes, that's a brand new band called Buck Cherry. And my singer looks over at me. And I just, at that time, I was probably playing some, I think we were in Texas. And I was about to play for $200, you know, slapping it out, trying to, you know, make your original music happen. And I just thought to myself, if that motherfucker would have said we sound like Kiss instead of L.A. Guns, everything my entire life might have been different. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So you would have joined if it was, sounded like Kiss, but <laughs> I would have had a lot more interest because to me, Kiss was my first influence in yeah. my life, and 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 um, and Kiss was timeless. Yeah. Kiss had already put their makeup back on and was selling out arenas, and they weren't they weren't. They were they were cool again. But well, yeah, I, mean? I think that you should have said it, it sounds like Kiss meets LA Gun with a modern twist. Cause I think yeah. that would be a yeah. would have been a better 
description because it definitely there's a little bit of all that stuff in it but it's definitely not a, a rip a kiss ripoff it's not an la guns ripoff it's no, they, their own band so I, it, it, you know and who knows if i ever would have made it they might have met me and hated me you yeah know what I mean? yeah but but had the uh had that been worded it, you know the moral of that story is from now on at least hear it with your own ears i didn't mm. even hear it <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? right you know, so you get a lot it, of those kind of offers though because like you probably can't listen to everything right no no I, not that stuff doesn't come my way much anymore but back mm. then i was looking for uh you know i i never wanted like i said i never wanted to join another band that wasn't my thing but i was always looking for how to feed my children mm. right you know, and uh, so there was there was opportunities that come through. I've forgotten more than I'll ever remember, to be honest with you, uh, you know, but that particular story and and the story about the the uh, I can't ever say that circuit delay. I don't know. How to say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's a, those are two amazing offers. Wow. Buck Cherry would have been. So then how did you I don't know if I know the whole story about how you you did end up. Uh, joining Brett's band, I think was was Evic your band opening for him at some point? Is that how you got to know him? Yeah, well, yes. Um, I, we the first two solo tours he did, I opened up. My band had done opening spots with him, and um, the guitar player at the end of the second tour wasn't going to come in on the third year. And him and uh, Jana, who works for Brett and uh, Big John all had all we'd all developed relationships and and friendships and all three of them had told brett that i was the guy that just made sense and um and so uh prematurely brett got a gig in uh detroit i I love this story i told the story yesterday uh um he called me and he goes hey i got this gig and instead of playing um, instead of bringing my whole band from LA and why don't we just bring your whole band together? And that way you don't have to go rehearse with these new guys you've never played with. Just bring your band and, and we'll play. It's a little uh, radio gig. He called it a little radio gig. And uh, my idea of a little radio gig and his idea of a little radio gig are two completely different things. So we get there and we don't even rehearse with Brett. Brett just tells us what songs to do. And, uh, I show up that day and it's 15,000 people. That's crazy. That's not little to me. right? No, that's huge. (laughs) And it was terrible. It was a disaster. Um, And then a couple days later, he called me on the phone. He goes, well, what do you think? I said, oh, it's awful. And he goes, well, that's the good news. Because if he would have said it was good, we that then we'd have a problem, you know? And uh, he goes, but he said, uh, he goes, I've watched your band for two years. I know how good you guys are. Uh, maybe we, we approached this wrong. He goes, I'm doing this other show. I got a show in a couple of weeks, uh, at, uh, Nashville on Memorial day weekend, uh, in front of a sold out crowd, 33,000 people, uh, opening for Leonard Skinner. But he gave me the information that time. I understood what I was walking into. And he says, just come on down and just be you. Don't worry about anything else. Just be you. And, uh, we played the gig and, um, halfway through it or at the end of nothing but a good time he gave me a high five and we smiled and it's 19 years later wow that's cool this, that he gave you a second chance yeah not, i gave him a second chance too 
Yeah. Well, so did he. I'm just kidding. Because you didn't have enough time to rehearse. Is that what it was? Or you just weren't prepped for a big show and you got nervous or what happened? Uh, No, it was it was a combination of. um, It's kind of hard to explain, but we knew all the poison songs. We'd been playing them our whole life. Okay. so we played them correctly. And he asked us to learn the poison songs. We played them correctly. But what neither of us took into consideration that we both knew we were both smart enough to know is those songs in the live set have evolved over 30 years. Hmm. They are not played just like the record by any means. Right. Gotcha. And that was, that was pre social media. So there wasn't a go on YouTube and look at how we did it. Do you know what I'm talking about? There wasn't go look at the live versions. Right. That. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So we got up and played great. We played, the poison songs as if we were the best poison cover band in the world, but they weren't the way he was used to hearing them anymore. Okay. So just some miscommunication more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 19 years later, still there. And then, yeah, you've got the solo songs out and then I, I I guess I didn't know you had a book. I haven't read that yet. Um, And then do you still have the sauce company? Is that still a thing? The sauce spice thing? Uh, The answer to that is technically yes. Uh, no, I've, um, it's too much. I had too much. I, I, the, the candle company, uh, shining soul was taking off and in my brain, it was starting to run, uh, function enough without me. Mm-hmm. But I said, Oh, you try to start something new, but then the company grew to the point where, uh, me and, uh, my partner, Darren still have to be hands on deck almost 24 seven. <laughs> so the candle cut shining soul yeah okay wow yeah. i'm sitting here at the at our warehouse right now doing this interview oh. so, so yeah. how does that work with, like with the shows with brett uh, just you make it all work together though i i i have an incredible partner and an incredible team <laughs> all right well that's yeah. awesome yeah uh, but cool. but i but without a doubt when i'm home and not on the road i'm in this building uh, usually lately at seven thirty in the morning, uh, but no later than than eight thirty, and uh, I'm here till minimum seven thirty. Usually nine o'clock at night every night. If I'm, you know, there's a lot to do, and and we're running. It, we've been incredibly fortunate to create what we've created. We have a manufacturing facility and three retail stores across three different states, and two hundred and fifty different stores around the United States that carry our products constantly uh it it became something uncomprehendable to me and you do you like it do you love being in the business of candles and all that do we like it darren <laughs> what i didn't hear uh, yeah. I, I don't even know the answer um <laughs> well yeah what uh, do you i mean do you enjoy is it your passion now as much as music or if you're spending that much time on it i would think so well uh i'm very passionate about it i'm very passionate in fact sometimes that's a detriment to business is is uh sometimes you have to remove your passion and make the right business decisions and that time to time is hard for me Mm. you know um making uh, with me the passion of the candle business is the creation of new products coming up with a different fragrance or a different scent it's just like writing a song 
So making a new product is like making a new record to me. And it still feels very much like that. And maybe that's not how other companies do it. But in my brain, I treat it with the same process. I demo it. And then I make the real version, the final record. And then we make a release oh. and we do press about it, you know, all this stuff. Uh, so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, but the shift changes once you once you have what we have and we have uh, 30-some employees, all of a sudden what's important is that your employees are getting their paycheck. All of a sudden, everything you think about just doesn't matter. What matters is that you're providing a living for adults that count on that paycheck every single week. And that's what keeps you up at night. And that's what keeps you driving is solely to make sure that the people that come to work for you every day get their paycheck. Well, that's not how everybody feels, though. So that's uh, admirable that that you do, though. That's good that you do that, that you have that kind of thought process. Some people might just be thinking about themselves and money for themselves and fuck everybody else. There's a lot of that going on in the world too, unfortunately. You cannot do that, especially in this world right now. You, uh, you know, the entire workforce industry has changed, and if you aren't grateful for who you have, you're going to lose that. That's yeah. true. That's definitely true too. Oh yeah, I always end each episode with a charity. Is there a charity or a nonprofit that you like to support? Um, I mean, there's there, there so many things. For instance, if you go to shiningsoul.com, we are um, we partner with Mission Twenty Two which is a, uh, a charity that helps with uh, PSTD and suicide within soldiers in their communities. Uh, it's very important to me. Um, and if you buy, you, you have to find the link on the site. Okay. And if you buy it particular from that link, 22% of all of our sales go to that charity. Oh, cool. Um, we have a particular cancel can candle called the fuck cancer, fuck cancer candle that, uh, 50% of that money goes to certain cancer charities. Oh, nice. And then um, we, uh, we did a charity just recently that's over now for uh, Australian cattle dogs. I, I, uh, I own a relatively famous cattle dog. Yes. Over 15,000 fans on uh, Instagram. His oh, that's more is, than me. Awesome. <laughs> his name is Bova the blue healer and he's my uh, girlfriend's service dog actually. But um, he's the first non-human that's ever been invited to go to a nasa rocket launch wow he was the animal ambassador for nasa you can go to their website and find all the pictures and all that stuff um he's been approached to be studied by three colleges because of how strangely intelligent he is <laughs> really fascinating yeah. yeah and uh and so he's an australian cattle dog which by nature are incredibly intelligent breeds it, okay I'll have to check that out. And also I got to watch the Joe, the Joe Rogan or uh, Steven Tyler and um, David Lee Roth. So my point to that is um, cattle dogs have an enormous amount of energy and um, oftentimes people will buy them and can't handle them because they're these little dogs. In fact, he's right here. Boa, come here, buddy. Come here. I don't know if I can get him to jump up here or not. Come here. Come on. Come on. Up, up. Can you jump? Can you jump up? He's so calm right now. Um, yeah, I don't hear a dog barking or anything. No, no, he, he's beautiful. He's a, he's a stunning dog. And here he is. Hold on a second. Bubba, come on. Come on. <laughs> he's on my leg, but I can't get it. I'm sitting up high on a bar stool. Yeah. So I can't oh, get okay. Hold, hold on. Here he is. Here he is. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Beautiful dog. Bubba, say hi to the camera. Say hi to the camera. Hi. <laughs> so, but anyway, they're little dogs. So people buy these dogs. And, and uh, they're too much for them because they're, 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 
brother, I'm not lying to you. You do the research. They're like the Raptors in Jurassic Park. <laughs> gotcha. but like, like that dog can open and close every door in my house. Wow. And, and he, it, he knows every pair of shoes. If we say, go get my vans, he'll get my vans, not. <laughs> my wow. And, and he'll bring them to you. Um, so anyway, they, they require an enormous amount of attention and a, a lot of people end up uh, ditching them. Oh. So there's a whole charity for that. That's sad. And we raised an enormous amount of money at the beginning of the year for, for them. So, That's awesome. Yeah. So if anyone's interested in, in that, check out the cattle dog association. Uh, but as far as us, I get my hands on a lot of charity these days and I try to, because um, I've never been in a position in my life to be able to give back. Yeah. Uh, and I'm getting to the point in my life where I finally can. And I'm right. not, I, I don't need an airplane and I don't need a mansion. I've lived this far without all that stuff. So, uh, so I, you know, I, it's, it's, it's important for me to do what I can to, for other people. So I try to get my hands in any, I don't have any particular charity, but I try to help. Oh, that's awesome. You're doing a lot of great things. You have employees, you're helping with charities and uh, you're making great music for the world and raising awareness about the Ukraine thing. So all sorts of good stuff that you're doing. I appreciate it. Oh, hearing that back, I sound better than I am. <laughs> yeah, you took the time to do my stupid little podcast, so I appreciate that as well. I Thank would do you so your much. Podcast all day long with that warrant and poison thing behind you. Yeah, dude, I could talk that stuff all the time. Let me know next time you're in uh, Phoenix or something. If we'll go to a show. Let me let me ask you. Yeah, are you in Scottsdale or Phoenix? Scottsdale. Have you ever eaten at Jalapeno Inferno? Yes. Is that still there? It's like North yeah. Scottsdale, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, right down, it's right down from where Brett's old house was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have flown all the way to Arizona just to eat dinner. <laughs> That's awesome. No, yeah. I went. I remember one time we went with my buddy, and he was an older guy, but he liked he loved hot food. And they were like, they, "Don't they come around? They have like this hot sauce." And she's like dumping the hot sauce, and he goes, "He's looking at her like more." And she's like, "This is really hot." He goes, "I don't <laughs> care." And she just and so she dumped a bunch more and. uh he ate it and he didn't freak out and uh, pass out from uh, from the spice. So, yeah, no, uh, that's my my favorite restaurant in the whole world, man. I love it. I that was so depressed when Brett moved because that was where I would go when whenever we were working or making records there. Yeah, why yeah. did he move? Like his kids went to school here and stuff, right? Uh, the kids several years ago moved uh, to Malibu. Oh. Well, that's pretty nice too, I guess. Well, the 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 schools and the different things that were available for the careers they were getting old uh, enough to start to choose were there. So okay. they they went there and they had the house there and then uh, the house here. Um, but during COVID, uh, he uh, just decided to to move on from that house and and uh, do some different things. So he's got a house in Malibu, and is that the only? Does he have other houses? No, he has he has a handful of properties all over. Huh. Uh, but the new Malibu house is it's, it's a it's truly standing on top of the world. Like like when I go there, I can't even comprehend. You can see the mountains from his front yard, and you can see the ocean from the backyard, and it, it's like, why do we? Let's just stay here. Why do we have to go anywhere? Like yeah. You know, I, I've often said, let's just stream our shows from your backyard. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, 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 uh, but his house in Arizona was that way too. It was probably my favorite 
place I'd ever spent an enormous amount of time in my life. It was a, if you said you'd been driven up near it, up in that cul-de-sac, yeah. you know, it was very private. It was way out in the desert. There was only a couple of houses near him. It wasn't a neighborhood by any means. And uh, I remember we would be making uh, the first couple records uh, and we built a studio in, in uh, one of his guest houses and I would leave the door open and I'd look back behind me and it'd just be a bobcat staring in the window or in the door, you know, or, a, or a coyote. I remember uh, his guest house was probably a hundred yards from his actual home down this hill. And uh, for some reason at night I was watching North America's 10 deadliest animals or something like that on TV. And, and, you know, you live there. I saw seven of them myself that day. <laughs> Yeah, you no, know, my parents live up in North Scottsdale. So I'll go like one time. I remember when I was like, uh, when I first, before I even moved here, I think I went to visit them and there was a dead tarantula on their right. porch, like full on tarantula. I was like, those are here. Like in the very first night, and I, I, I'm telling you a lot of stories I shouldn't tell anybody. Very first night when Brett first moved in that house, wasn't hundred percent moved in yet. And we were eating dinner and uh, I looked up. And for some reason, I looked up and sitting on the curtain was a live tarantula. <sighs> Real thing, right? And you got the scorpions and the javelina yeah. pig and the coyotes. The rattlesnakes. And the, and the black widow spiders and the bobcat. So that was seven. And I'd seen all seven of those animals within 24 hours of watching that show on his property. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. It's cool, but, it's cool, but scary. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I'm a camping guy out here on the East Coast, and I always want to go camping out there in that desert. But I think, man, I've you know, I remember sitting at Brett's guest house and listening to those coyotes kill those rabbits and hearing the snake rattles and all this stuff. I'm like, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could make it through the night in a tent. It was scary enough in a house, right? Yeah, no, a certain. Uh, there's definitely some danger out there. I mean, we do a lot of hiking stuff. We don't do as much camping in the phoenix scottsdale area like desert part because yeah there's a lot of crazy shit there do you go out to that mount pleasant area uh lake pleasant you mean lake pleasant yeah 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 yeah, uh, yeah yeah that's a lot of fun i like that out there yeah have you ever been to canyon lake i have not oh that one's way better it's like these giant canyons it's totally like man-made i mean they made the lake because it's these big canyons and then there's a lake. It's just, it's bizarre. It like messes with your head almost. Cause it's, I don't think it's like natural to have right. water, but it's beautiful. I mean, this is beautiful lake and there's a cool like Marina restaurant bar on that. You can just have this amazing oh, view. I would love to see it. Are yeah. you from Arizona? No, I'm from Seattle, believe it or not. Oh, are you really? We just played in Seattle a couple of weeks ago. Oh, did uh, you? The casino? Yes, but it was a newer, it was a casino we'd never played before or whatever. Snoqualmie or? No, no. We used to play that one all the time. We okay. used to play that. And we used to play, um, there was a, there's a giant one that I can't remember. We used to play with, it was like an indoor arena inside of it. But, um, this one, I, I can't remember the name of what we played, but, uh, there, the, the Seattle, do you get back to Seattle much? It's been not since the pandemic, but I I'm going to be going again now that now that flying is like legal again or whatever, it's like safer. I, like I said, I hate flying commercial. And then when they had the mask thing, I was like, dude, I don't want to sit on a plane for five hours with a mask and. Unless you're in the air, airport for two hours before that, that used to make me crazy. I would be flying during the pandemic to Brett's or to LA. And that, that's, that becomes a nine or 10 hour day of that mask on your face. It was, yeah. It was, 
It was just oh. too not pleasant for me. I mean, I would do road trips and stuff, but I didn't want to fly. Yeah. It, was, it was already annoying before that. Now at least they've taken the mask thing away for now. And so I'm going to try to fly back. Seattle has seen a lot of change since the pandemic. Oh, great. Yeah, it's already gone downhill since uh, since I left. In the, I left in 2008. I moved here and I come back and I'd be like, what the hell happened to my city? It's like, yeah. so. it's, it, I hate to say it, it was pretty unrecognizable from the last time I saw it. It's a lot. You know what I'm saying? What's going on up there? A lot of. Oh, yeah. The homeless. And there's a documentary. It's like a mini thing on YouTube called Seattle is dying. And it's really yeah. sad. It's like just because there was like all this. I don't know what what the what they what happened, but all this homeless encampments uh, they just seem to encourage it or allow it or something. They don't they're not helping these people, and uh, I don't know. I don't. It seems inhumane to me, and I just feel bad for all the the homeless people. But there, there, um, there's there's solutions that aren't being taken care of. No, exactly, exactly right. I I'm just worried that's going to come here to to Phoenix and Scottsdale. It seems like it's hitting a lot of big cities. It's this yeah. weird like technique where you just don't do anything and hope that it gets better. I don't really understand it, but oh, the put your head in the sand attitude. I hate. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. I, I've heard things have gotten a little bit. I thought I heard they were getting better. They were starting to clean up some of the encampment. I know LA cause they had the super bowl. So they had to clean up some of the homeless encampments and things, but I don't know if that was just for the super bowl and then they let it go I, back. I, I mean, LA is LA. It's what it is, but you know, but the Seattle thing was just interesting to me to, our hotel, there was tons of homeless and tents and stuff outside of our uh, really nice hotel in a really nice part of town. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's well, odd. My parents said they're from Seattle. They like lived there in the 70s. And they said they told me there was no homeless people when they first moved there. There was like there wasn't you didn't see that. So right. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, before you wrap up, I'm sorry to take up too much of your time. I just want to make sure we circle back because the whole interview was supposed to be about promoting uh my best days yes the, the two songs right the the, the best days yeah. and uh 99 love balloons cover uh so the the 99 song is not yeah. it's not on uh spotify i think it's well, only youtube hello some, some weird sound is happening you there yeah i'm here are you still there i'm freezing up something's happening on me. did it pause did you oh i think i got you back there you okay go. yeah no okay. so the 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 two songs yeah but the the best days i just listened to that one right before the interview great song did you like it yeah what what did it sound like to you um now i'm trying to remember <laughs> it sounded like uh god i want to say because i heard you like talking about the bowling for soup it almost kind of reminded me of that more of like a like a 90s kind of rock pop rock it's funny you say that. You're the second person to f- pull a Bowling for Soup uh, reference out of that. And those guys are – Jarrett's one of my good buddies too. He right, knows. yeah. I think that's but, uh, maybe why I thought of that. But that's kind of like the, when you say what – I mean, because it's hard to describe. I'm I, so bad at describing music. But that it sounded more like of that era, kind of like a poppier 90s I, kind of rock, more than like an 80s kind of – I produced it. If you go back and listen, I produced it intentionally to sound like a Bon Jovi record. I could hear that. Yeah, I could. I could hear that. It's definitely poppier. It's melodic. I I like that kind of stuff. Whether it's poppy and melodic, seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever you want to call that. But I like stuff with a hook that's catchy, and yeah. it's got that. 
Well, I just I, I didn't mean to go back to it. I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned that the song's out. And that yeah, I'll put it in the notes. I'll put it when I post on social media. I'll say this is my interview with Pete. He's got a new song out. So some people probably won't even listen to the interview, but they'll see that you have a new song out. So that'll help you. Hopefully, it's, it's just a, like we said at the beginning, it's a positive message in the song. And I think that there might be a few people that uh, want to or need to hear it. So I'm right. Make- it said uh, there's always because we talked about how, you know, inspiration to those who feel that if they've already lived in their prime, um, no matter how old or what diversity, there's always something better on the way. I like that message. I think that's great. It has to be or else yeah. not worth living. So, yeah, exactly. That's why we do everything. So that's why I started a podcast and everything. So I think we share the same philosophy on that. I love it. Seems that way. Next time we do this, we'll do it in person at Jalapenos. We'll fly. I'll fly out there and we'll do live <laughs> podcast from the restaurant. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I'm in. Thanks so I much. I appreciate you having me on. I had a great yeah, time. Thank I appreciate you. you coming on. Thanks so much. All right, buddy. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Pete for coming on the show. Once again, make sure to check out his solo stuff. 99 Red Balloons is the cover, and My Best Days is the original song. And I just re-listened to that song, and I'm totally hearing the Bon Jovi stuff, so I don't know why I missed that before. Maybe I was mixing it up with the other solo stuff that he had. Uh, but the vocals and the riff are, are a little bit more 90s, but the, it's definitely got that guitar solo and the keyboards, which is more 80s. Very cool. Check it out and make sure to follow Pete on social media. You can follow me on there as well. I'm on everything. And if you want to support the show, you can subscribe wherever you watch or listen. And of course, your comments, likes and shares and all that good stuff helps a lot with the algorithm. So more people will see it on social media or YouTube. And if you're just listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify uh, or Google Podcasts, I think you can do a rating or a review and that will help out in the same way. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to listen all the way through to this episode. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon. Shoot for the moon.